This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. We're continuing with our journey through 1 Peter. Remember, we are aliens. We are strangers in a hostile world. And um, Peter is telling us how we're to live in this hostile world. And he had begun by telling us all the, the great things that God had done in, in pulling us out of the world. He, he, uh, he caused us to be born again. And we can praise God for that. Amen? He caused us to be born again. He has a future hope that's waiting for us. And he holds us in his hand. Amen? Amen. And uh, on the basis of what God has done for us, He also calls us to live holy lives. He calls us to fear Him. He calls us to love one another earnestly. And He's created us as a community of people to love one another. Um, Living stones we talked about a few weeks ago. And then last week, when I was here with you, we talked about how He's telling us uh, how we ought to relate to the government. And as he did so, he kind of moves into what's called a household code kind of uh, um, um, type of type of literature. Um, what I mean by that is he's, he's taking each different area of the household and, and uh, describing how the believer is to live in that situation. First, he addressed everyone and how we are to relate to the government. Next time I'm with you, which I believe will be the week after next, um, we will deal with a family life and and husbands and wives. Just buckle on, get ready for that. (laughs) And uh, this week he deals with servants and masters. Um, And uh, basically, uh, we, we, we find this kind of foreign, don't we? Uh, because in our day today, we don't have slavery as an institution any longer. Uh, but I believe this text is still relevant to us, and it, we can still learn from it on how we are to live as strangers and aliens who are loyal to our King Jesus. Let's, uh, let's read our scripture, beginning in verse 18 of 1 Peter chapter 2. Servants. Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing In the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, uh, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now returned to the shepherd and overseer 
of your souls. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, Lord, help us to receive these words. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And Father, help us, um, Lord, to know how to, to embrace suffering in this hostile world, following after your example, Lord. We love you. We praise you. Give me strength as I preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Peter begins this section saying, Servants, be subject to your masters. Um, again, he had just said in the previous text, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So he deals with a general sense. Uh, first, dealing with the government, dealing every human institution. And then he, he focuses in on the relationship of servants to masters. Servants, be subject to your masters. And when he says servants there, we, we can think maybe of a couple of different words for uh, servants. Uh, maybe you've done some study on that topic. Uh, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you haven't. Um, but uh, there's a couple of different words for servant. We think of doulos. Maybe you've heard of that word. Um, that's uh, that's uh, basically the idea of a slave or uh, deacon. Uh, the, we, we have deacons in our, in our churches, right? Uh, deacons are ones who serve. And uh, that, that's not the word it uses either. Here, this word uh, uh, begins, uh, it's, uh, it's called oikos, and it's, it has to do with a household servant. It's got the, the beginning of the word is the same word for house. And so it's a, a household servant. But by extension, I think we can, we can deal with, with this as any servant, um, as well as uh, any, any slave, um, as well as uh, I think we can relate to it ourselves. But here he says, be subject to your masters with all respect. Now, here's something uh, that I, I think jumps out to me that the translation may not uh, quite get right. And I haven't checked other translations to see what they say. I don't know what the King James says. But here in the new, new uh, I'm sorry, the English Standard Version that I'm reading from says, with all respect. Now, that may give the wrong idea because uh, it gives us the idea that the, uh, the servants are to respect their masters. But the word here, actually in the Greek, is, is the word for fear. It's actually with all fear. And uh, as I talked about last time we were here, we're to fear God, aren't we? We're not to fear man. We're to fear God. So I believe that whenever it says here, servants be subject to your masters with all respect or with all fear, we're to do so not fearing the masters, but fearing God. We fear God, and that's the reason why servants are to submit to their masters. And then, as, as if you just stop right there, and, and Peter only said those words, uh, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, you, they may get the idea, well, yeah, yeah, my master's a pretty good master, I can submit to him. Uh, but, you know, what about these other masters that are not good? And uh, he, Peter cuts that off at the pass. He says, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Peter, don't you know what you're talking about here? We might say. When we hear these words, uh, we, we think, don't you know how, how evil an institution slavery is? How can you say to these servants... 
to be subject even to evil masters, even to masters who mistreat them. But Peter knows what he's talking about. Peter knows what he's talking about. He lived in this society. And I want to step back for just a minute. When we think of slavery, oftentimes what we think about is the American experience where, where um, uh, people were treated uh, um, as, as property, as chattel slavery, uh, as a, in a race-based system. And we might get the idea, well, then Roman slavery wasn't really as bad as American slavery. Well, I would say that's a complicated question. That's, that's, that's yes and no. Uh, there are some differences between Roman slavery and American slavery. First of all, uh, Roman slavery was not race-based. People were uh, slaves from all different races. Also, um, in Roman slavery, um, sometimes the uh, slaves were actually smarter than their owners. Sometimes it was the, uh, the tutors, they were the tutors for the children in the home. Um, sometimes slaves were doctors and lawyers. Uh, in the ancient world. Uh, in American slavery, education was discouraged because they knew that um, with education, there might be some kind of an uprising. So there's, those are some differences between the different kinds of slavery. Um, but also in the Roman world, slavery was in a way just as bad. Uh, a person was still considered the property of the owner. Um, if children were born in the household, those children were not the property of the parents. They were the property of the owner, and they could buy or sell those children that were born in their household. In the ancient world, also, um, slaves could, masters could beat their slaves without any kind of uh, um, repercussions from the government because of that. Uh, so it was still an evil institution. Now, I'm a little bit lingering here on the question because it is such a foreign thing to us. We don't live with this kind of slavery anymore. So we kind of, ask, kind of have to ask ourselves, Peter, why are you saying this? If slavery is such an evil institution, why are you saying to these servants to submit to their masters? This question's been lingered on. This question's been been. been uh, thought about by many different people. And I think really uh, the, the, it basically comes down to this. When the New Testament was being written, when the apostles were here on earth, their goal was not to start a political uprising to overthrow the systems of power. That was not their goal. Their goal was to get the gospel out and to help Christians to know how they're to live in whatever situation they find themselves in. They didn't have the time to overthrow the government. They, wouldn't, they would have been put down very quickly if they had tried to do so. Um, no, their goal was to get the gospel out to get, uh, and also to get out the word of how Christians are to live within the existing um, structures. And so... When Peter tells servants um, to submit to their masters, he's doing so knowing that this is just the system that is. And it, we're not going to do anything to change about it in, in that time. And so this is how the servants are to live under this system. Now, 
Peter tells them, tells these servants, they're to not only be submissive to good masters, but also to the unjust ones, ones who may beat them, ones who do all kinds of evil against them. Why does he do this? He tells us in verse 19. He says, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. The first thing we see here, it says it is a gracious thing. We're going to notice it's repeated again later in verse uh, in verse uh, 20, at the end of verse 20, it, is, it says, it is a gracious thing in the sight of God. This gracious thing, it is a gift. Is that a kind of a gift you want? Do you want the head of gift of, of being able to suffer under an unjust master? But Peter, that's the way, that's the logic he puts here. He says, this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures suffering unjustly. First of all, by being a gift, I think it means only by, the only way we can do it is if God gives us the gift to be able to endure it. We can't do it on our own. Just like anything, we can't do it on our own. We need God. Um, uh, I, I saw a meme on Facebook uh, recently, uh, uh, and it basically was like one monkey saying to the other, you know, I need God to live these days. And uh, the, other per- the other monkey says, I need God to go to Walmart. You know? <laughs> Maybe you've seen that. Yeah, we need God for everything we do. And, and it's only by a gift of his grace that a person's able to endure suffering unjustly and be mindful of God. Here, whenever it says be mindful of God, I think it's understanding that God put me in the situation that I'm in and he is good to be able to to trust him in the midst of that kind of suffering. That's a gift that only can come from him. Um, Then he gives some more logic here behind it. Verse 20, he says, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But when you do good and suffer for it, uh, you endure. It, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. He can p- contrast two things. If a person is, if a, if a, if this believer who's living in this situation rebels against his master and then he's beaten for it, then that's no, no. Um, uh, there's no, nothing praiseworthy about that. No, no good in it. No credit, as uh, Peter says here. But someone who does good and then suffers for it, that's praiseworthy. Uh, Peter says here. And he says, it's a gracious thing. Again, that's repeated in the sight of God. I think we need we, we need to really focus in on those words in the sight of God. God sees us when we suffer. God sees that person in the midst of suffering under an unjust master. But you know what? Each one of us can probably think of times when we've suffered unjustly. And God sees that. Maybe, uh, maybe it's whenever someone's been written up at work for an unjust reason. Maybe uh, you can think of different things, but also we can think of uh, the florists in our country and the bakers who are being um, uh, persecuted, basically, for doing what they believe is right. This is unjust suffering. 
How can they stand up in the midst of that? By being mindful of God, being trusting that He is good in the midst of their suffering, and trusting, um, trusting Him, and trusting that God sees their suffering. He's there with them. The Great Commission tells us, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is there with us in the midst of our suffering. Whatever suffering we are, whether it's a servant under an unjust master back in the Greco-Roman era, or whatever suffering we endure in this life, we can do so being mindful of God, trusting that He's good. And knowing that he's with us and he sees us in the midst of it all. Verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you. For to this. What is he saying? What is this that he's, we've been called to? We've been called to suffer. Amen? <laughs> or oh me. <laughs> We've been called to suffer. He couldn't be more clear. For to this, that is suffering, you have been called. He's not just talking to the Roman slaves at this time. He's talking to us. We've been called to suffer. For, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Christ was an example of suffering, not just for the slaves in the ancient world, but he's an example of suffering for us. He suffered for us. Now, his suffering was different. And Jim talked about that as he did the, um, the meditation uh, in, before the, the Lord's Supper. Christ's suffering was different because each, each one of us, we suffer and we die for our own, our own sins. But Jesus died for the sins of others. He suffered for the sins of others. Because Christ also suffered for you. We can't say that about our suffering. We don't suffer for another person. But Christ suffered for us. And in the same way, it is an example. I want to be careful whenever I talk about Christ's suffering being an example. Because there is a misunderstanding of what the atonement of Christ is all about. There's different uh, models and understanding and explanations of what Jesus did whenever he died on the cross. Jesus' death was for us. Like he says, he suffered for us. He did it in our place. We deserved it and he took it. He paid our debt. He paid the debt that we owed. Some have considered what they call the example theory of the atonement. Uh, the example theory of the atonement, basically, there's, there's two different ways of formulating it. One says that, um, that Christ's death on the cross was such an example of God's love that, it, that when we see it, it just changes us. It's, and, and that sounds good, but at the same time, it, it rejects the idea that he actually suffered in our place. Um, it was more than just an example that would somehow draw us to us and change us by seeing that great example. No, he died in our place. But at the same time, Peter here is telling us that Jesus' death was an example. His suffering was an example so that we would know how to live in the here and now. It tells us, Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. When we face suffering of any kind, 
None of us in here are slaves like the ones that were addressed in the early church here. But we face suffering of many kinds. Sometimes we are um, put down because of our faith. Uh, Sometimes it, it may be natural forms of suffering, disease, sickness. But when we face that suffering, we can keep Jesus in our mind. He suffered as well. He didn't didn't suffer anything he deserved. He suffered for me. And I can endure this suffering as well. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. This is again, it's explaining the the suffering and the, the, the way Jesus responded to suffering. Whenever people mistreated him, when people beat him, whenever people um, mocked him, he didn't didn't respond with reviling in return. And in the same way, when we face suffering, we we don't revile back. We don't say, yeah, this is now, but you're going to get it someday. (laughs) That's not how we respond to suffering. We respond to suffering following after Jesus' example like a lamb that was silent before his shears. And what was Jesus doing? He was continuing to entrust himself to the one who judges justly. He was being mistreated. He was being mocked. The Roman emperor had condemned him to death as a criminal. And yet God, Jesus, looked to the one who judges justly. It it didn't matter to him in the world's eyes how he was being seen. He looked to the one and entrusted his soul to the one who judges justly. In the same way, in our suffering, if we're persecuted by the government, if we're fined because of what we believe in, in, in uh, the Bible teaches, or, or any other thing, we entrust our souls to him who judges justly. He will vindicate us one day when he returns. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. This is, I think, going beyond the example language. This is not something we can do. This is the gospel. This is what he did. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. I think this, I think... uh, as Peter was talking about the suffering and the example that we follow, he starts breaking into just explaining what Jesus really did there on the cross. He took our sins, our, like, like the song sings, our, 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 uh, our, my sin not in part, was, but the whole was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Amen. In his body on the tree, our sins were born. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Our sins, we died. And, and you know, this is, uh, this, is, this is something that's pictured in our baptisms. When we go under the water... We die. 
It pictures the death of Jesus, what he did, and it also pictures what happened in the reality in us. We died to our old sins. We died to the old life. And we will raise, we raise to live in the newness of life, to follow after Jesus. We died to our old sins. Our sins, we don't carry them anymore. We're not, we don't hold the guilt of them anymore, but they were nailed to the cross with Jesus. And now we live taking up our cross daily. Again, Jesus, Peter here is saying, we follow in his steps. We were called to suffering. When Jesus called his disciples, you know, he said, come follow me, take up your cross. Right? That's what following Jesus is. We're called to suffer. We died to our old lives and we live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Here, there's a reference to um, Isaiah 53. We think of all the things that it says about Jesus there. He um, bore our sins. By His wounds, we have been healed. By His stripes, we have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Once... We were lost once we were His enemies. Once we were straying like sheep. We were going away from Him. And the Good Shepherd came and got us. He sought us out. He came and found us. He pulled us out of the hole. The the Good Shepherd held us there. Until we got our bearings again and He walks alongside us. And any time we fall into a hole again, He pulls us back out. Amen. For you have been stray- you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He is the great shepherd. So, let's step back and look at this as a whole. Peter had begun talking about servants and obeying their masters, not just the good ones, but also the bad ones. And in doing so, he gives us a foundation for how we are to live in the midst of suffering. That servant, he was to live in the midst of suffering. We're going to have all kinds of suffering. Hopefully we're never beat by a master or a boss. If we do... Turn it into the authorities. (laughs) But we will face many different kinds of suffering. We respond to our suffering in the same way Peter is telling the servants to obey their even bad masters. We respond following after the example of Jesus. We look to him. We respond like he did. Because ultimately we died. But we live a new life in Him.